Welcome to the One Question Podcast, brought to you by Wabi Sabi Studios. I'm your host, Michelle Cox, and I love having unlikely conversations on uncomfortable topics. It's a huge passion of mine, so much so that I wrote a few books a while back that challenge people's notion on living a life more unconventionally. This entire podcast stems around one question. If there was one topic you wish society would talk more about, what would it be? We lost a bit of that compassion that we had when we're in person, face to face. We're out of practice. We need to get into practice. Compassionate leadership is giving real honest feedback. It is doing it in a kind, compassionate way, but not avoiding the tough conversation. Get ready for an inspiring episode of our podcast today as we welcome the formidable Joe Gaines, a renowned thought leader, industry advisor, and a passionate advocate for women's rights. With over 20 years of experience in the technology and media industry, Joe has made a significant impact on various digital first companies and networks, including CBS, Yahoo, and Salesforce. As the Area Vice President ANZ for Retail and Consumer Goods in Salesforce, Joe leads the company's business development and go-to market strategy for the retail and consumer goods industry. She is a true inspiration to many women, breaking down barriers and achieving success in what is once been considered a very male-dominated industry. But that's not all there is to Joe. Her greatest passions lie in her friendships and motherhood with two beautiful daughters aged 15 and 11. She is also an active advocate for women's community shelters and her involvement in various initiatives is creating opportunities and support for female surviving homelessness and family violence. Jo has a wealth of experience and her insights into the technology and media industry are always very interesting whenever I meet with her, so I cannot wait to see where we go with this episode. Joe Gaines, I am so excited to sit down with you and have a chat today. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, Michelle, we have been wanting to do this for a while, so I am thrilled to see you and to be doing this with you too. Oh, it's so lovely to see your face again. It's been ages, so we desperately still need to catch up face-to-face, but today I will make use of this. Just happy that I can see you through the screen. So let's dive in because I can't wait to hear what your topic is. If there is one thing that you wish society would talk more about, what would it be? Right now, I think it would be compassionate leadership. And can we have performance with compassionate leadership? Can the two coexist? Hmm, interesting. I mean, post-COVID and everything that we've sort of gone through and, you know, the topic about the working environment, you work in tech. So this is really interesting to hear you want to talk about this topic. So why is this something that is really important for you to raise awareness on? You know, we've all talked about the last three years. And in fact, everybody is now saying, let's not talk about the pandemic. But we all said while we're in it, let's not waste a pandemic. So I think it's really important that we talk about what we learned during the pandemic about leadership and what we take forward with us. Obviously, not all of it. So a lot of organizations, especially in the tech space, doubled down on wellness and mental health and compassion and family time and taking a break from the screen. And now it feels like there's a little bit of panic because 
you know, the lag on numbers, there's inflationary pressures, and suddenly there's all this talk about we've got to get people back to the office and we've got to have them there five days and the nine to five. And well, actually, I've seen a number of statistics recently that all seem to show the most recent one I saw said that people are 25% less effective post-pandemic than they were pre-pandemic in the workplace. And so has this flip straight back to let's just focus on productivity and performance? Have we lost that sense of we're all human and you can actually have performance with compassion? You can give people space and they can prioritize their wellness whilst also focusing on performance and results. I absolutely agree with you. Yeah. It's interesting. And as you say, like we've flipped almost like the pendulum swung too far one way. The organizations are trying to bring it back. And I know a lot of senior executives and big bosses that mates of mine, they're desperately trying to bring everyone back in the office. And do you think that's why people are unproductive? Or are you saying that people's values have changed? And if anything, you know, the pandemic's made us think about things, you know, and we've found other interests in our life. I mean, I'm a perfect example with my ceramics. And, you know, I found that just before COVID and that's changed my life. So people are, are realizing there's more to life than work, right? Is that the thing that's really shaken this up in your mind? I think so. Yeah. And there's been a lot of studies done. There was a study done in the UK and I was actually just talking to a friend of mine this morning about his organization and them contemplating the four-day work week. And I know in the UK, they did this study with a number of organizations and 93% of them are actually going to take up the four-day work week and take it forward. So they experimented with it. And so what they're finding is actually people are being more effective when they are given that time to have a creative outlet or spend time with their children or actually get to be out and work outside, you know, and so forcing them back into, you must be in the office five days a week, suddenly they're conflicted with, well, hang on, but I experienced this other way and I like components of that. I do like being closer to people. And I think we've kind of started avoiding the tough conversations. We started putting things into email and on Slack and into chats that we would have ordinarily said in person in the office or in a meeting room. And so we lost a bit of that compassion that we had when we're in person, face to face. We're out of practice. We need to get into practice. Compassionate leadership is giving real honest feedback. It is doing it in a kind, compassionate way, but not avoiding the tough conversation. And do you think also, I mean, thinking about all the years I was managing hundreds of people you know, I was always a big advocate for working anywhere, like being in tourism, because I've always worked from airports and planes and I'm an advocate in that because I can work in any space. But what I learned is actually not everyone can work that way. Some people get very distracted at home. But also when you're in the office with people and you're picking up those body languages, those kind of points, and you're like, okay, someone's writing to you on an email and they're doing their job okay and they're writing okay and they, everything seems fine. But to look at them, you're like, no, there's something going on with them. And so then you could have that conversation to your point about that human connection element that we just don't get through email and everything that's done online. And so do you think that's part of what's missing? And that's the nice part about people being in the office. And as they always say, the, the ad hoc little chat you have with someone that might fix a problem that you've been dealing with for days, et cetera, all that type of stuff. 
how do leaders now combat that with now people having a taste for saying, well, I've worked from home two or three days a week and I've been doing my job really well. Like, why do I have to come back to the office? One of the great things that I was doing, and I know other leaders in our organization were doing, was actually meeting up with people in a park or going for a dog walk or like actually walking and talking. And now we've flicked back to let's do all those meetings in an office and everyone's complaining that there's no meeting rooms and it's busy. And what, why don't we continue to meet people where they are, still have that human connection, be face to face? But why does it all have to be either? online or in the office, like let's find some middle ground. You know, I talk about this with my children when they're trying to figure out social relationships at school. You do have to do things that the other person wants to do as well. It can't just be all playing your game. You need to go and play games that they want to play as well. It's the same sort of thing at work. You need to kind of go to where they are and they need to come to where you are. It's that give and take. And I think a lot of employees, from what I'm hearing, are feeling that there's not that give and take at the moment, that it's like, look, we looked after you during the pandemic. Now you've got to come back and you've got to do it our way. And do you think also that's because the companies aren't performing as well? So the pressure's on, like from the shareholders or the board down, and that's filtering through then through the organization saying, okay, let's be more productive. And we're kind of almost going back to the industrial revolution, you know, churn and burn type factory worker type stuff. And yet we've been talking about that for years, about how we shouldn't be like that anymore. Yeah. You talk about results. I mean, it depends how you look at results. I think a lot of companies are now looking at profitability more than, than simply gross. If you read any of the articles that are out at the moment around all of the tech companies who are going through all of these major reshapings, They've said that they continue to hire during the pandemic whilst other organisations were being cautious. And so could tech organisations have been more cautious that perhaps haven't seen the lag until now? That's up for speculation. But I think there's ways to find efficiencies that we all discovered during COVID. So let's continue to be more efficient, I guess, is sort of the mantra. And I get that though, like as a business you know, owner and ex-CEO and all that type of stuff, I mean, you, the pressure on business is constant. And so you have to continually innovate and you have to challenge the status quo and you have to find ways to be more efficient if it's that or have a better product line or be better than your competitors. I mean, that, that is business. It's continually growing, changing, mapping or whatever. So I don't think that's a problem in the sense because that is business, but I think your whole point is there's a way to do that, bringing your staff, your team and your people along with you rather than doing the whole kind of stick approach, like saying you must do it this way and you're whatever. Like how do you bring them along in that more compassionate way? So I'd be interested to kind of hear how do you think people can do it better and organisations, what is it that they need to be looking at and how do you as a leader operate in terms of your leadership style that you think that people could kind of learn from? Yeah. So we started doing virtual workouts. We started doing a lot more mindfulness moments and teaching people how to meditate. And actually, there's a lot of proof as well that a very important part of compassionate leadership is being a mindful leader. And to be compassionate to others, you need to be compassionate to yourself first. And I think a lot of leaders including myself. I've been doing this since probably over the last year, just flogging myself. You know, I've got to work harder. I've got to do more things. 
as leaders, we have a responsibility to actually take things away from people. We started adding on all of this virtual enablement and all of these extra things, more reports. Like we've got so many reports. How could we look at which reports are people actually using? Which ones do they not look at? Which communications are people looking at? We send out thousands of slacks. Like which ones are people actually looking at and responding to? And how can we take things off people's plate and give them more time to be mindful or to prioritize wellness? But it starts with you as a leader. You need to demonstrate that for them. Yeah. And so what are those kind of ways that you found yourself? You should say you've been flogging yourself. So obviously this is a good reminder for you. So what are the things you try and put in place, Joe? like, you know, to help you with that? And then like someone watching you, because it's interesting how younger staff had sort of said to me over time, I would always feel guilty about leaving the office early. I'd be in early and I'd work all day and I know that I'd be working on the way or I'd had something on. But if we were working on a big project and I was kind of leaving at five or six and there was a team there, I'd feel bad because our era, like you were in first and you were there last. And yet it was a younger staff member said to me, she's like, no, but that's not what we, you know, aspire to. We want to see you as the CEO of the company. We aspire to your role, but seeing you being there, slogging it out all day, every day is not something that I want to do with my life, but actually seeing you add value doing it, but actually going off and doing other things. That's something that I look up to. I'm like, oh, I never really kind of looked at it that way. You know, I thought I was letting the team down. So it's interesting to sort of have a bit of a different vision on that, I guess. Do as I do, right? Not do as I say. So I'm watching you, I'm seeing you, and you might be telling me one thing, but you're behaving a different way. So actions speak louder. I'm with you. I really think it's important to talk about what you're doing. So I've started doing a horse riding lesson each week. And I was actually on another friend's podcast, Impact Policy podcast recently, and I'd come straight from my horse riding lesson and I was in my outfit and he's like, what have you been doing? And I said, well, I want to talk about this more. You know, I've actually been to a horse riding lesson and it's mid-morning because they don't have spots outside of hours and I can't have my phone with me. You've got to focus on the horse and what you're doing. And so I'm not contactable during that time. And it's okay. The world doesn't come crashing down. And equally, Tuesday night, I have sushi with my girls and we switch off for a couple of hours. We don't have our phones with us. And it actually coincides with a forecast evening when I've got to submit my forecast. So I just end up doing my forecast later on, but I switch off earlier in the evening so that I can spend that time with my girls and they don't have their devices either. And we do it every Tuesday. And my whole team know that that's the time you can't call me. I won't answer my phone's in airplane mode. So things like that, getting back into yoga, the things that matter to me, not necessarily the same for everyone else, but, you know, getting back to that sort of practice. To me, it's important to be doing those things and switching off at the same time not doing them and checking your phone while you're yeah, doing them. Yeah, you need to be present, don't you, and mindful. You've given a couple of examples. In terms of a leader that you are, like a senior person in your organisation, what considerations do you think companies need to have to implement more of this compassionate leadership? Like how can senior people like in your position have an influence and also if someone's listening and they've got their own company and they're like, oh, you know, yeah, but I just need people to get things done and they don't understand I've got a mortgage to pay or whatever, I just need people to do the work. 
Like, what do you say to that? Don't confuse this. Compassionate leadership doesn't mean that you stop, you know, having the metrics and expecting the performance. That needs to be there as well. I think you owe it to people to be really clear about what good performance needs to look like. And also the practice that I'm prioritizing getting back into is that one daily direct interaction with people on the team and in the business. To be clear is to be kind. So how can I give a direct piece of feedback, have a direct interaction that is kind, but is also, you're not living up to expectations because of X, Y, Z. Here's what I need you to do about it. Getting into that practice of having, you know, that compassionate lens. I care about you. I'm telling you this because I care about you, but your performance is not where it needs to be. I think That's a daily practice of compassionate leadership that we can all get into. That's not an hour of yoga. It's a mindful interaction with someone that is deliberate. And I track it. Who do I need to have a conversation with? What day of the week am I doing that? How do I feel about doing this tomorrow? Check in with yourself as well, but keep practicing it so it just becomes a part of your culture. Like I said, I think we've gone back to putting too much stuff in email and on Slack and indirect. So that's a compassionate. Yeah, I love that. You've said some really good points there. And I'm intrigued, though, about how people, because I think, you know, the examples you just use are beautiful, but how do your staff take that feedback on? Because you work with lots of different ages of people, I guess, and we're of a generation, you and I are similar, that we're kind of used to having pretty tough feedback when we were growing through our corporate career. And as women in senior leaderships, like we've had to have pretty broad shoulders. Most of us are about the same. But my observation or experience is the generations coming through are not as used to that potentially. So what you said there in terms of having frank conversation that actually educates them and helps them to be better, do people take that on? Or is it to your point about because you've been doing it for so long and it is part of the culture, then those that have been working with you for long enough know that's the deal. And yeah, they're used to it. I don't know. I actually find the opposite. I find that the younger generation are like really grateful for the feedback and craving. And quite honestly, I'm craving it too as a leader. I don't want you to tell me what you think I need to hear. And I also think often we're moving too fast at the moment to slow down and have those real mindful conversations with people. And so people respect that you're slowing down and you're taking the time to actually give me feedback and you're being clear about how I could improve. If you're not doing that, then I'm moving forward assuming that you think I'm doing a good job because you're not telling me otherwise. No, that's so good to hear. So one of the things I wanted to ask you more, unless you had anything else on that sort of more compassionate leadership, but You talk about being obsessed about studying human behavior. I mean, I think the stuff you're describing is sort of in that space. And when you talk about your daughters as well, you know, that like 15 and 11, I'm sure you're getting a nice dose of that on a daily basis as well (laughs) with them. So I'm intrigued. What is it that you love about human behavior and why is that something that you're obsessed with, as as you put it? I actually wrote a note for myself the other day on one of the things that my 15 year old said to me. When I said, why do you continuously talk to me in that tone? I don't even think you realize the condescending tone that you're using with me, my darling. And she's like, mum, teenage girls don't really think about what they say or how they say it. So don't take it personally, mum. 
Because I'm just not really thinking about who I'm talking to or how I'm saying it. And I'm reading a book at the moment called Hold On To Your Children by Gabor Mate. And he talks about the importance of those vertical relationships, you know, parents being the number one influence in their children's lives versus those horizontal peer influences. And I think a lot of parents are not trying to be malicious, but they are allowing peer relationships to dictate the boundaries and the values versus the parents and the grandparents and that whole lineage. So I guess that comes back to your conversation about compassionate leadership, because as a parent, you are a leader to your children as well. And they're like your employees, they're watching everything you do. <laughs> so, so I was curious if you think about all the leaders you've had in your career, can you think of one that was incredibly compassionate and like as an amazing leader? And what is it like if there's one thing that they did that was, it was pretty incredible or that you learned from? I do. I have one and he is still a mentor to me today and his name is Tony Surtees and he's on a number of boards. He employed me at Prime Television knowing I was pregnant. I had really been knocked around in a previous role and this is a long time ago when we didn't get the type of parental leave and all of those things that exist today and he took me under his wing and said, I know how good you are. I know what you can do. I want you to come in and do it. I know, you know, you've got six months to go off and have your baby and I really want you around whenever you feel okay to come back. He validated me. He saw me and he acknowledged my strengths and he acknowledged my situation. I didn't feel like I had to hide anything. And where it could have been an issue, I know so many women don't want to talk about their pregnancies or are worried about how it's going to impact their role. And he just made it a non-issue, acknowledged it. And I've even recently caught up with him and we've been talking about, do I want to do more director style roles? And he said, you need to work with a not-for-profit first before you start taking on that fiduciary responsibility of a commercial director position. And he said, where do you want to go? Like what not-for-profit board do you want to be on? I'll, I'll introduce you to anyone. I'll get you on anywhere. And he's just always that like wonderful, supportive, tell me which direction we're going in. Tell me what we're going to do. He doesn't pretend to have all the answers, but he's there to lift you up and back you up and knows that you won't let him down because he's not going to let you down. What an incredible person to have in your life, Joe. How lucky are you? <laughs> like, cause that's quite rare. And to have as you say, like a male that is that forward thinking, you know, especially 15 years ago, because it's incredibly rare. And, I, you know, as a leader, I would have to fight those kind of battles for female staff of mine that I knew that they, were, they would do more in that six months before they had the baby than other employees would get done in a year. So they were worth ensuring that you could enable them to do that. And we need more men like that to actually assist us in women getting those kind of advocacy stuff and being able to further themselves in their career with things like paternity leave and maternity leave and stuff. So amazing. Yeah. Sadly, I don't have a lot of female examples, which is another topic in itself, right, about women. As you said, women advocating for women. I still feel that there's a lot of that tension of there's only one spot for a woman, so you better watch out. It's mine. There's still 
even today in the workforce. And I, I've been putting some stats up on my social media. I'm sure you've seen around when do we get to pay parity and, you know, still so many years off gender equality. But I feel that women aren't often enough supporting other women. Yeah, I agree with you through my early days in my career. But then I think as it's about that example stuff as well. When people would start to see that I would help other women and be an advocate for others, it's that, you know, and think like, okay, there might be one spot, but it should be the right person that gets there and let's all go for it. Because then they'll realize actually there's five amazing women that need to be on that board or that committee or whatever else, not just one spot for one woman. It needs to change. And there's a lot of work to do continuously, but you've given a beautiful example and the more men that can assist with this is great. So Joe, it's been fabulous to chat to you today. Thank you so much for sharing all that with us. You are such an interesting human and a lot of the work that you do, like the uh, women's community shelter and stuff, you're not for profit clearly that you're working on now is amazing. So just delightful to chat to you and hear your view on the world. Thank you. It's been so nice to get out of the day to day and just spend a bit of time with you too, Michelle. And thanks for the work you're doing for women and for the community at large. And that support that you've given to women through your career, that's so wonderful to hear. So thank you. Well, there you have it. Wasn't that an incredible conversation? I hope you enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed bringing it to you. If you did like it, can I ask a small favour? Please rate and review on your listening platform for me. I know everyone asks this, but it seriously makes a difference to help get these conversations out in the world and makes all the hard work and effort I put into this for you all the more worthwhile. And until next time, if you have one question you'd like to ask me, hit me up on my socials or jump on my website, michellejcox.com.